Welcome to Trying to Be Kind, a podcast that tries to look kindly at the various products that we see in the TTRPG space under an academic lens. I feel like I've done that introduction so many times, I could finally do it properly without stumbling. Okay, and here we have today our special guest. We have Vi. Hello, I'm Vi Huntsman. I uh, am here to help consult on the topic of critical role. <laughs> True. Yeah. Vi- Scholar in residence, critical role studies. Yes. Vi is our like, resident hip young person now. <gasps> I'm so glad I can bequeath that title to you. Thank you so much. I don't, I'm not, am I inheriting it from someone? Am I stealing the crown or did you like dust it off of a top shelf or something? Well, apparently I I used to have it. Apparently Fiona is nice. Fiona labored under this delusion that apparently I was hip (laughs) and knew young things. And I'm like, Fiona, Mm -hmm. I just step out the door occasionally. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. that's more than, than certainly than I have, you know? Anyway, anyway. Are you now- aware that like there's a series of tubes called the internet and like you can see all sorts of wild stuff there. Just like people can say anything they want. <laughs> oh my God. I swear. You know, like, I, why do I feel like this is the calm before the storm? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, okay. So as you may have heard, heard, this is going to be our special episode on Critical Role the monster hearts one shot that that said it might this might take a while so our episodes will not be a one shot as we try to unpack this cultural event called cinder brush <laughs> the critical role monster hearts one shot okay now let's play our game on how we introduce ourselves and fiona given that this was your brainchild i think maybe you should start Hi, I'm Fiona Maeve Geist. I'm usually on this show, I think. Um, I'm not very good at my job. Um, and if I were a Monster Hearts character, my skin would be a ghoul because I'm actually kind of not always a great person, but I do think that I have a high cold. Um, and look, you could figure out whatever you think my hunger is, and I have satiety and a spirit to corpse. So if you are new to the Monster Hearts experience, that's a really good emotional PvP character. Okay, um, I'm next. And I said in my heart of hearts, I'd like to be a witch. But after talking to Fiona about this, I'm probably the codependent skin of the mortal. Which is so (laughs) disappointing. It really is. I work these things out in therapy, dudes. And anyway... Y'alls, dudes, I mean this in the Californian sense, FYI. And um, <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like, I'm so disappointed. I mean, fine, I am hot. <laughs> yeah. Can can confirm? And I can what be What are you going to do? I mean, can someone just save me from this conversation? Damn, I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> Excuses are my armor. Like weapon, right. reason is exhibit, my blade. Exhibit Here to A. do battle. Exhibit A, exhibit A. Okay, so why don't we bring this over to Jared? Jared Bear, have you thought about it? Because Fio and I also I, thought it for you. Yeah, so I've thought about it, and I've looked at all of the skins again, and I've really sat with it. And to be perfectly honest with y'all, I don't feel like I'm a good fit um, <laughs> yeah. for any of these. Oh. Um, but I think... 
the one that I've arrived at, and you're going to laugh because it's a little bit like that time I declared myself the best Star Trek captain. But I, I feel like the only one I can really get on with is Vampire. Now, hear me out. <laughs> it's, I, I would go with the, the high cold, obviously, mm. and inescapable. And while I'm not especially... <laughs> <laughs> and while I'm not especially like one for sex moves, I do think the vampire sex move says something really important about my demeanor, which is that when you deny someone sexually, you gain a string on them. Our chaste, our, our chaste Jared, as usual, coming through in the in the game mechanics. <laughs> Yeah, you don't actually need the essay about asexuality. You can just play a vampire build. That was the most maidenly <laughs> answer one could get. Love it. Compare that to mm-hmm. my sex move. If you have sex with me, I unleash the worst things about you. <laughs> I forget what ghouls is, mm. because my goal is to just gaze into the abyss at people until I have massive pluses, and then just go smash things for dramatic effect. I mean, seriously, the mortal sex move, when you have sex with someone, it awakens something sinister within... The next time you take your eyes off of them, they become their darkest self. It literally Damn. means in order for you, in order for me to save you from yourself, I need to constantly be with you. Oh, gross. Gross. Wow. <laughs> this is so, so horrible. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Let's, let's. Wait, I actually has yeah, not uh, gotten oh, way in. Yes. So um, I... If I were a Monster Hearts character, I would be the cuckoo because um, uh, I decided to answer this question regarding the fact that on my YouTube channel, Collabs Without Permission, it's me imitating others' styles. And so uh, that's the cuckoo's whole thing. Um, but oh, also, That must be an extracurricular one. I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. That's in the... Um, I don't know one of the one of the bonus mo- yeah, one of the bonus I, I, skins. I sent Jared one of the groups of them because I suggested Sasquatch because I think it's an inherently funny skin. <laughs> I think that's Jackson Tengu's. Um, I'm sorry, but yeah, Sasquatch yeah, yeah. really. I mean, you know, there's some cultural appropriation going on there. But <laughs> let's. Oh no! Let's hard. Don't go. Let's not open doors. Let's not. Op- <laughs> you know what? Again, let's not be too spicy. Ah, okay. But also because when I was in high school, I was uh, I loved putting on other people's clothes, and that's also part of this skin is um, putting on other people's clothes. Oh, and interesting! So, yeah, um, and the sex move is it, once you've had sex with someone, add one to your roles for passing as them, which I think just means that I would inherit the gender of people's uh, whose clothes I put on. Oh, yeah, you're, you're like the gender collector. Yeah, just yeah. Just systematized being non-binary. Exactly. See, it's just the obvious choice. Okay, you know what? So this is Monster Hearts, and I think maybe before we talk about like the critical role thing, we should talk about Monster Hearts in general first. Like, what exactly is this game? Um, yeah, so Monster Hearts, right, is a very famous game, at least in the indie scene. I can't even say it's. I think it might be like non-indie famous, honestly. Like, I, I think it is a mainstream, like mainstream in the sense of people have heard of it, popular game, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Um, it's like an international bestseller, but it, it would be weird to claim that it's not well-known and generally well-regarded. I think that's fair. 
Yeah, it's definitely broken through like some kind of threshold. It's up there playing ball with like Blades in the Dark, I think, at this mm. point. Yes. Okay, so Monster Hearts is a game about basically playing what is our tagline? It's basically about being a teenage monster. It's a send-up game of of CW shows like Teen Wolf, um, you know, The Vampire Diaries, so on, designed by Avery Alder and published by Buried Without Ceremony. Now, this first edition was first published in 2012, and the second edition was published in 2017. Uh, On its genre, arguably, I guess teenage soap opera meets paranormal activity meets um, interspecies paranormal supernatural romance. I mean, it's quite a fun yes. game actually to play. And um, it has four, it has four, um, it has four uh, attributes as many games that are powered by the apocalypse. It has hot, it has cold, it has volatile and it has dark. So, and there are several moves, the basic moves that we might be talking about in, in general. Um, we can't, I don't think we should go through all the basic moves. If you want to find out what those it's, basic moves are, you can just uh, download this stuff, the, the basic moves for free from Buried Without Ceremony. Uh, if you all know you were going to say. Oh, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's not, I think a lot of the game is theoretically the essays in it, or what I think of as essays, because like you can fit the like mechanical rules to it in like a reference sheet but you know the actual i think spirit of the game because i think i'm not necessarily playing it quote unquote right by playing it as a game emotional pvp is you know uh kind of uh avery's thoughts on what you should go for in playing uh monster hearts and i think is probably the most germane to our discussion of what does it kind of mean for a popular uh, stream uh, actual play to you know run the system a dreaded word (laughs) (laughs) ah yes jared Mm, did you feel that ripple in the force (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely a system it's doing the system thing. It's, you know, that when going back to like the first book we did that, whose name I can never remember because it's so academic, but the, the, the Dr. Walter, not Walter White. What was his name? <laughs> anyway, Dr. White, uh, mm-hmm. his book where, you know, this is definitely coming out of the forge um, very directly. I think um, I would, I would think of it as kind of a post forge, like the first wave of post forge games and, and post forge design. Yep. I mean, it is. I mean, I think Avery's been quite open about being active in the forge in that time, in that time frame, And, you know, like I personally think Avery is a very nice, wonderful person. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Avery in big bad con in 2019, where I rather shyly approached her because I was like, you don't have to pay attention to me. And she's like, excuse me. <laughs> it was really, it was really quite nice. Um, and Avery has like big EMG energy, like earth mother goddess energy. So uh-huh. like, at least that's my impression of Avery. So like, there's a way she fills the space with just like common sense and like a very solid, like welcoming energy, I would say. So seeing this game coming from her, and have it interact with her even slightly. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's just that 
that is when, you know, there's a privilege to getting into a con. And I'll get into this later, because when we look at how Critical Role runs and plays Monster Hearts, a few questions arise. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh, I'm getting nervous because it's Critical Role, friends. <laughs> so I'm getting really like, I can feel it. Like, Let me, I can, I can maybe Vi. warm the waters a little bit with the, um, with the Vi's fun fact of the episode, which is that if you go to critroll.com slash Monster Hearts, the affiliate link for the, it directs you right to the Monster Hearts 2 page on DriveThruRPG uh, with a Critical Role affiliate link. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, it's still up. I checked. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for them. So if you want to support both at once, uh, you can you can do that, I guess. Please, please consider this the closest we've ever come to running an ad, and it goes to directly benefit the people that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, oh, weird. I don't mind that. They gave us material to talk about. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we are yeah, at the all... End of the day. At the end of the day, we are all people trying hard in an industry that has disparate levels of success. And we should think kindly of those who, you know, are not, who are, you know, who are not as doing as well as us. (laughs) (laughs) I I cannot say that with a straight face. I mean, it'd be hard to say anything with a straight face when we're talking about monster hearts. Finger katanas. Hey. I'm on my worst comedic instincts, and I'm sorry. Uh, well, I think that's a decent um, overview of like the the first pass out of what is Monster Hearts. Um, Vi, can I ask you what's a critical role? <laughs> you absolutely can, because I don't know. I, I um. Uh. You can you can definitely cut this out, but for some reason that question was the most you've sounded like Griffin McElroy in the whole time oh, I've no. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, mute myself because no. I'm gonna die here in the back. <laughs> now that I've uh, socially pressured everyone into muting themselves and I can run the podcast, um critical role. <laughs> Social PvP, here it is. Um so Critical Role is a group of friends that are the top earners on Twitch.tv running the um, what was once the weekly uh, Critical Role 5th edition campaign um, or campaigns and has since moved to a kind of uh, longer uh, episodes or like a, a lighter release structure schedule. Um, but yeah, most most popular for doing these, the the Vox Machina and... Uh, Mighty Nine campaigns, beloved by all internet famous set of voice actors who sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons uh, as they are self-described. Um, they, and it's notable because they like, they only really do play Dungeons and Dragons um, and Honey Heist. Um, <laughs> and they play fifth edition pretty exclusively, right? Oh yeah, just like specifically fifth edition. fifth edition. Yeah, it's if you're deep in the lore, you know that I think they came from like three point five. Actually, I think they came from Pathfinder, like before they started their Geek and Sundry episode one arrival at Craghammer. Um, episode. Did they start on Geek and Sundry? Yeah. Oh, they were with Geek and Sundry for a long time. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that's what. That's always. This is one of my kind of. I think easy critiques of Critical Role is that they kind of are just Critical Role, and they like emerged from Geek and Sundry, which did manage to do a lot more than like Fifth Edition. You know, like their goals were different, of course, but you know, 
Yeah, well, Will Wheaton played both Dread and Fiasco, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, and a bunch of other games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those were the big uh, tabletop role-playing ones that I remember coming out of that. Um, but yeah, then they uh, but they have done a couple one-shots in other systems. Um, we're going to, if we if we go over like the players that were in Cinderbrush, then Talison Jaffe, uh, he ran a, an episode of Vampire the Masquerade. But for one of the, um, but for their Valentine's Day episode in 2020, um, which I think is uh, uh, important to state exactly when it was. Hindsight um, is actually 2020. It is. Oh. Yeah. For, for their, which I think is like part of the, uh, you know, it's a, it's a romance <laughs> game. They were trying to get in the mood. Um, for Valentine's Day 2020, they decided to do uh, a session of um, Monster Hearts. And they did like a, uh, an episode of Handbooker Helper to give their viewers kind of a primer for the, the game mechanisms that they were. Oh, you know, I wish for this I had watched that. Oh, it's fun. Uh, I can. Jared, what, what you actually it? did watch that because you literally had commentary about it while you were watching it too. I didn't watch Handbook or Helper, did I? Hold on. Uh, you used. Um, I feel like we used some <laughs> unkind language to describe it at the time. Oh, I don't know how to play. We'll show you the way. Handbook, handbook, oh, I did handbook, watch handbook, that. Yeah, I did watch or that helper. actually. Helper. Yeah. Ding. Stop singing, Vi. We can't afford the rights. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, we, I actually don't think we can be demonetized because we're not monetized. That's true. Mm-hmm. I just had to, um, I did the, the singer thing where I, I had to correct my last note because I was flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this because I'm, I, the whole time I was watching this and I've watched nine hours of this episode because I watched it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, which for those of you who don't know me, I've never done anything for nine hours in my entire life. Um, so how would you say that this episode is representative of critical role as a media property? Um, I would say that if you really wanted to get a look at, at critical role, I think fifth edition is in like intensely tied to that in a way that you can't really extricate, which will actually probably like play into the conversation that we have about their monster hearts episode. Um, But as far as like the, the like rhythm of the um, like the scene, scene to scene. And um, I I think that when you, when you listen to the behind the scenes information about critical role, Matt talks a lot about um, or Mr. Mercer. (laughs) Um, He talks a lot about like, um, or not a lot, He's mentioned in the past that he has a feel for like, oh, we're like approaching the break. You know, he, he like can think of the the game in terms of like 20 minute chunks or some something like that. Mm. And so I think like if you're talking about like the rhythm of like the role play and how the story moves and um, and I think like I, I think in that way, yes, it's representative, like okay. the, the length and rhythm of it. Cool, because honestly, I'll be perfectly honest. I, 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 you know, this is the only critical role anything I've been exposed to outside of the occasional, like, blunder tweet. And it's not exactly what I expected in a lot of ways. What were you expecting? Well, um, I was expecting it to be a little more, I guess, bombastic. Like, I was expecting more funny voices. And maybe that's a, a matter, I, I, you know, it occurs to me that maybe that's because this is Monster Hearts and it's more like normal people in a weird world rather than like goblins and orcs and stuff. Mm-mm. I I think that, um, or sorry, uh, <laughs> you were about to say something. Oh, and just like um, generally 
I don't know. I guess I expected more like hand waving and loud and, you know, it, it felt it felt surprisingly controlled. I mean, I expected it to be highly professional, but I feel like the performances were a little less unhinged than maybe I expected. Oh, yeah. I think uh, there's a there's a kind of thing like the crew are uh, like the cast, I should say, are are voice actors. Like that's kind of obviously very much part of their shtick. Mm. But I don't think they do voices as much as they do like accents and like character voices. You know, or, or like I think like more often you get accents or like so they um, tend to be really grounded. You're saying they do, yeah. Mm. Um, you get I think um there there is there was like a a goblin character for a while, but it wasn't uh, um. Yeah, it, it it is more grounded than like, uh, more than it is like big top like circus like huge accents and, and well, that's like wild, good actually. I mean, yeah. like I, I don't want that to come across as a criticism. I I, I was pleasantly surprised by that. I suppose. Mm-hmm. And you said you said hand waving. Oh, oh, was that like the- theatrical? Yeah, like exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that's also that's also one of our tabletop terms. Oh <laughs> yeah, like... the different kind of hand waving, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think hmm. I, I think that's a pretty good way of like looking at things so far. I mean, so we know that this isn't their bread and butter, right? This is Monster Hearts as a game is not something that Critical Role actually uh, engages in quite a bit. So I thought honestly, in my end, it was rather commendable that they decided to pick a game like Monster Hearts to actually introduce to the greater to their you know their rather considerable uh, audience in terms of like population i would argue yeah. that critical role has the biggest um market share of players uh, in terms of actual play i can't believe yeah. i said market share um <laughs> and um well to the point that they have you know stunningly uh, successful kickstarters they are now an amazon prime show um so if anything, it really shows that their media savvy is quite strong. Um, these are people, I think we should point that out. These are people who have worked in the media. And that means that they have access and skill with regards to uh, producing a product that is meant to be consumed as a media event, rather than simply just seeing as one would, one, as they're often defended as, as a group of friends just playing a game. Because let's set the stage before we discuss this. When we, when we watch uh, Critical Role, Critical Role is basically like watching a very interesting um, merge between theater and, uh, theater and television production and so on. First, let's talk about the talent. These people are voice actors and are actors' actors, which means that they can turn a line they have great physical expressions and whenever they say something it actually sounds meaningful and in the moment so dialogue from them i think is particularly strong and makes things feel real the other thing i'd like to point out is the set design they Mm. have they have sets so we're not talking like for the for the monster hearts one they had two things first they had individualized magnetized boards I think, which let them like say with tokens mm. who they had strings on in each person. Like that is not something the average uh, table will have. Like that is a production design choice so that viewers can see exactly who had control over what. Oh, I mean, also just awareness of how they are on camera, right? Which is like 
a weird thing to point out because, mm. like, obviously almost everyone you see on a camera is used to being on camera to some degree, unless it's, like, a Zoom call mm-hmm. or, like, an awkward, like, FaceTime with a relative or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And but the like, other, yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, where it's, like, outside of one or two times where someone's head crosses across, like, two lines of, like, shot you know and there's like an odd like refraction effect like yeah i mean there's really you know, a lot of awareness of how to even pass things to each other where they're very natural on camera which is like collectively and like i think that actually is a really like high level of skill yeah. right like yeah. most people look awful on camera myself I mean, included well let's talk I, I, like, let's talk about that awful on camera bit they are professionally lit and I yep, don't mean yeah. lit in the slang sense. I mean lit in the literal sense. <laughs> like, they yeah, I'm are, getting lit in a slang sense, you know, but like, that's because it helps me talk about games. Right, but they are... I'm taking pads. Like, I could see the blue and yellow light mixtures. I could see the red background when they do certain scenes. And the makeup. Can I just say the makeup? Where they have the no makeup makeup look. I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa. Like, seriously. Yeah, like, like, technically, it's a very accomplished production. Like, come on. No one's like, yeah. no one's like, honestly, if, like, if their, like, production staff or someone who's ever, like, worked with them would like to talk to us about, like, what it's like, that would be incredibly interesting. Mm. Yes. And this is all made even more impressive by the fact this is actual play. That means that it is happening live. It means that this is, you know, this is. Basically, produce on the seat of your on, on the seat of your teeth. It's it's somewhat planned, so in a way, it's like the closest equivalent I could think of. It's like four hours worth of dramatic Saturday Night Live. That that's that's basically <laughs> what you're getting. Yeah, and um, it's fine. There are no skits. There's no like complicated like jokes, and everything's improvised. But I mean, credit where credit's due. That is the genius of Critical Role. That it's managed to put all of these things together to create a very, very polished, very, very, you know, beautiful thing to look at. Let's let's be let's be honest. These are good looking, good sounding people. Mm-hmm. And it's high entertainment value. And that is why I find I also find it rather silly when people resent the success of Critical Role. I'm kind of like there's been clearly a substantial investment of time and resources into this. If you expected a bad product where people and everyone disliked it for whatever reason, I'm just kind of like, come on, we have even far more problematic content out there and you don't question why people like it. So I don't understand why people question sometimes why others would enjoy Critical Role so much. So I think that there's something that the the only thing that I haven't heard y'all touch on is the... um, the audio mixing, like I think that the only time that I really that it only went wrong, or sorry, not audio mixing, but the um the backing track, like the the background music, um the, it only went wrong kind of once when someone was um in the back of a car bandaging someone else um intimately and uh, what's the phrase uh, delicately and intimately to like extra heal and um and like Matt I because I, I think he's the one controlling the the music and he like switches to like a like a softer kind of uh life is strange kind of music track <laughs> but then like switches back to a more dramatic track because the moment is is like very short and they, they don't they don't dwell on it <laughs> but i think he kind of expected them to but like you can hear the music get like quieter when they go out of the rave and then louder when they go deeper into the rave <laughs> and oh, yeah, it's just like, it's all very the sound engineering is good 
I yes. mean, yes. they they are operating at a high level. There are teams yeah, behind this, right? Mm -hmm. There. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if there was a director of photography. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a director of sound. So yeah. this is like this is clearly a lot more than the panto that we call this podcast. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like, let having established having established what critical role is and just how good it is, we I think the the focus of this episode isn't so much to bash out the critical role. It's just that knowing that this is something that is quite, uh, you know, it's it it is it is a cultural landmark in gaming. Let's be honest, it is a mm. cultural landmark in gaming, and like it, like many landmarks, you need to look at them and wonder why were they like put up. What made these things like you know who decided to erect these monuments to gaming? Now, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Context of Monster Hearts using the word erect, pun intended, not intended. <laughs> okay, no, I, 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 I just realized pun. what I said there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so I guess uh, again, like putting on the Mahar needs structure hat. I guess the big question now that we really need to investigate is, given that this apparatus like this large-scale media apparatus has now looked into a game which is ostensibly indie and i still think is in many people's minds an indie alternative you know what has, yeah. what has that done to the discussion of how actual plays work i think and in general like what happens when something like monster heart a uh, monster heart something like critical role rather plays monster hearts like what what were your impressions when you saw this happening I remember pretty distinctly when it was um, like announced and coming out because it was a big a big buzz in the indie sphere. Mm. Um, I think that um, you know it's part of their um, they were you know before COVID really hit they were trying to get a um, like a series up of videos where they would shout out indie games and this kind of felt like the precursor to that um, and it was more like a like less that they would play them and more that they would like talk about them but um and i don't think that ever came to fruition or it's on some other channel that i don't know about but it was it was exciting to like see them playing monster hearts um i think that one of my stranger takeaways from it though is that it does feel like um and of course this is like fifth with the fifth edition being so tied into critical role um or maybe the other way around um it did feel like, you know, a Valentine's Day special occasion where where Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition is kind of the system that they can use to do everything. But then when they want to get saucy and tell some romance stories, then they they pull out Monster Hearts, you know, for this specific thing that it's good at. Yeah, I guess a, a question I didn't ask earlier, but I think ties into this is like, how much is romance part of the storytelling in mainline crit role, right? Because I assume a Valentine's Day episode using a weird like romance game has like obviously a different emphasis than their normal like you know on the actual other hand, play yeah i mean i think that it would be easy to do like a valentine's day masquerade ball in their like mainline storytelling campaign you know i feel like that would not be out of place as like oh some some intrigue and espionage and romance or something um I think that, and that, you know, there's kissing and, you know, pl player characters will like romance one another or like sometimes an NPC. Um, and sometimes it's like <laughs> the married couples and sometimes it's not. Um, but uh, 
I don't know. I I correct me if I'm wrong, but the there was like some kissing like there was there it was there was more kissing than there was in like the average critical role episode for context there's not usually kissing every episode <laughs> but yeah, um, isn't there someone that tracks that uh yes i'm sure there is <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i can i can look that up when i when i hand the mic over but um but i think that I, it didn't feel like a particularly romantic episode like like it didn't feel like super super sexy except maybe like um sasha eric uh uh eric. being like yeah eric ishii um rolling a a, a couple of turn on moves of course yeah uh, okay and, so, uh, and, and some other characters as well of yeah course. aft did well, uh, uh, at least a couple of yes. times yes. yeah yeah well you know i'm like my impression when I first heard about this going on was like, okay, I mean, sure, you do you, but I didn't have high hopes. Because yeah, that, I think that was very mm-hmm. like a common response in the indie sphere at the at the time. You know, I was I was very much like, okay, so this is happening. We can't do anything about that. Like, sure, whatever, uh, we're done. And I actually felt very happy for Avery because I felt like at least Avery is going to get more exposure from this. That's that was my that was my thought when when that first happened, and then and then I watched it, and then I just kind of felt like, um, um, one of the one of the tenets of Mar- Monster Hearts is to pl- make the game feral, you know, and I think people have different interpretations of what it means to be feral. Uh, I think these days, because of COVID and having to stay inside many people have started describing their experiences of not seeing people as becoming feral. But that's still not the energy that I was looking for. It, it, it felt like a very tame version of Monster Heart, so to speak. It, fe- it felt like the PG version. Though, I will note, the, the, the players seem to have such, uh, such pleasure in saying the F word over and over again. <laughs> it's like, we get to say fuck. And I was like... Wow, there's a lot more cussing in this game than there is in their normal actual plays for uh, Fifth Ed. So I guess I guess there wasn't a. I, I'm gonna sound like, okay, here we go. I'm 39 and I have like I have like a ward of, of some sort. It's it's like me trying to be edgy to people Vi's age. <laughs> oh, the number of fucks. Yeah, but it, it, it's kind of felt like, ooh, I'm in my 30s, but I'm gonna be like a teen. I gotta be all like edgy and shit. And that, in some, in some, in some, in some players, I just kind of felt like, oh my god, what is this energy? <laughs> like, it's like some hello fellow kids energy. Like, hey, I'm the cool mom. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I feel like this is the part where I, I mean this in every way, not to be cruel, but to be honest, right? Like is the very, oh yes, teenage drug dealers who are notably good at like handling money and getting all of their stuff passed off and like, are you know, like operating at a high level of efficiency with a large market and deliver drugs in the Midwest somewhere. Like, you know, LA drug dealers do, but also teenaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where it's like, y'all, I love that like, the imaginary space that you have a lot more trouble with is the Midwest. Oh my God. It's like, yeah, we can talk about that. That feels a little bit mean spirited. Yeah. In in every way I will say that in like, I live in the Northeast. I'm from like basically Mm -hmm. the Mason Dixon line. Like, 
in every way. I've been to the Midwest some. I grew up in a rural area, right? Yeah, well, yeah. But, like, it... Yeah, I've also been to some major cities and they talk like people from a major city about well, I mean, it's like that is something team. that is something I think we're gonna have to unpack later that this is supposedly happening in a small town in the middle of nowhere where one of the major tensions is people wanting to leave and get out of this system right to get out of this situation and mm. yeah it is done with the language and mechanisms of people from urbanized backgrounds Hmm. That is something that I think we might want to look at in later. And um, and when I mean urbanized, I don't necessarily mean like uh, simply having like big city thinking. I'm just thinking like in terms of resources and the approach in which the people feel like they have options in order to handle something. These are these these feel like again saying uh, like you know big city mindsets. Just the efficiency, just the the linguistic parlance. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, you know, you can't change that. There's a suspension of disbelief needed, I think, and that's that's more than fair. Uh, and I don't oh, think, yeah. and I don't think we should look to games, even games set in our world, for and look for any very similitude, right? Mm. But I do think this episode of Monster Hearts really reveals why I don't watch CW shows anymore. When you have twenty and thirty somethings playing eighteen year olds, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, Mahar, you, you touched on this a little bit talking about the um, keep the story feral thing, um, but I think there was a general um, sort of a general mood after this came out among the indie sphere and the 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 group of people on Twitter who are familiar with Monster Hearts. Um, that they didn't, that that is critical role that didn't sufficiently engage with the system of Monster Hearts or the text of Monster Hearts. Um, do do y'all remember? It, does that jive with your recollection of that time as well, or is well, that just me? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, like having Mercer roll dice felt weird because I felt like the 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 MC doesn't actually roll anything. Mm-hmm. I think they normally like rule when to roll. Oh, that sounds like you're doing this. There but, was one moment where he called, he told someone to make a, like a hot check or something. And I thought I that like, was funny. I thought that, that was funny. Yo, yeah. Actually, yeah. Make a hot check is one of those <laughs> phrases that I wish we could soundboard. Like, I wish we had the level of production of like a radio zoo show because also, um, you know, there's a bit where because of the subtitles that I watched it with, there's an awkward uh, there's an awkward cut in the dialogue in terms of subtitle captioning that makes it very funny innuendo. Oh, God, Fiona. Beautiful. Fiona, we should make, like, <laughs> and Jared, I don't know if this is within your, like, patience for editing, but could we have something like a sound the next time we have this? Like, it's a hot chick. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Oh, I can make that happen. Don't yeah, worry. We, yeah. we can compose that and do a soundboard. <laughs> yeah, I Beautiful. can make that happen. Um, but, but I bring it up. I, I bring it up because I I feel like they actually did a pretty good job of engaging with Monster Hearts as a as a large entity. I'm not going to say that they like played exactly the way Avery Alder you know intended it. Well, actual play um, puts some limitations on them, right? <laughs> yeah, but the I do think they fully engaged with the subject matter and the tone of Monster Hearts sort of broadly. And I think in general, they, um, even though they didn't roll for the first hour at all 
Um, mm-hmm. I think they nonetheless, like the times when they went to the system um, seemed correct generally to me and, and like a, you know, like w- in the bounds of what monster heart is monster hearts is. And I think in general, um, you know, the, the fact that they didn't go to the system as much as maybe we expected them to, or the larger Twitter population might have to me, it felt just like they didn't really need it. Um, they kind of were getting along fine on their own. And maybe that's, <laughs> maybe this is like exposing some kind of ethos different, you know, like a difference of opinion as, as far as ethos goes, like what, <laughs> how much we should, how much critical role specifically should, um, showcase the the game on in question at any given time mm-hmm. um but it's difficult for me i don't know at some point that complaint to me seems like like they just didn't market it well enough. you know what i mean like they didn't yeah. they, they, they weren't selling the game well enough and it's like no uh, well okay but maybe we can be a little less cynical and just like they they produced a show that hopefully is in line with their brand and like entertain their audience and did indeed engage the system to a reasonable degree. I don't know. I, I have trouble like really putting fault to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how y'all feel. Um, you know, like, like I think, I, th- I think like it was a, it was an honest effort. I'm going to give it that. I think it was an honest effort. I think it's an effort that is very much a product of its time. Um, in the sense that I don't think critical role does live plays anymore. Right. I think they pre-taped uh, that's everything. That's right. Yeah, oh, it's all for, pre-recorded now. It's all pre-recorded for the longest now. time. Yeah, yeah, they would they would live stream their episodes um, simultaneously on Twitch and YouTube. But yeah, it's uh, it's been pre-recorded since yeah uh, some point in COVID. Yeah, that's so, probably a good call anyway. You know, yeah, like I think pre-recording yeah, right now. Yeah, sorry, you so go on. Comfortable for them in that like two and a half hours to break, like. I mean, I'm admittedly not very professional and on the clock here with a bunch of things, but right. Like we're not running like, you know, two and a half straight hours. No water drank on camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, I mean, they yeah. do. Um, they, they do drink, but I mean like on the, at the same time, I think that you, there's a, um, their, their production still is quite similar to how Standard Brush was at the same time because mm-hmm. they still do them in like two tape segments back to back because I assume, you know, they have to pay the whole crew that is there as well. So they might be able to, they have the liberty to take longer breaks now between the first and second mm-hmm. half. But um, I mean, for all you know, I don't, I don't know who's working on that thing. So like, I don't know if they have to follow Union, for example. I don't know what, mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Um, what I will say though is that because it's all pre-taped now, it's pre-recorded. One would hope that there are people reviewing the content before it airs. Mm. And I think, like, and I think that is, and I think, I think, like, with any standards and practices, right? I think you have to do that. You don't want another Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake Super Bowl moment anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you have to get through. I think certain kinds of like internal or maybe external regulation before you release product like this these days. I don't think you can do that as freely. And um, it's in that regard that I, I I think parts of Monster Hearts, this episode, have not aged well. And so mm. that's why I try to forgive it. Because if, if, if this episode of Monster Hearts, the CR episode of Monster Hearts, had happened now, 
after the last two years, since it first aired, I think we'd get a substantially different response. And I would think that they would actually, you know, get a lot more harsh criticism. And it would be deserved had they had the same product now. And I think people need to keep that in mind because people still look to the Cinderbrush episode as like, hey, this is how Monster Hearts is played and they keep on going back to it. But with the current mindset of how it's read, I think it's we need to be we need to be a bit charitable and recognize it to be a product of its time, which is so odd to say, given that it was just two years ago. Yeah, a lot has happened in two years. Well, yeah, and also at risk of being accused of some serious mind crimes, you know, in this segment, I, I do want to put out like. It also, by saying it's a product of its time, right, like, it is just in every way that, you know, it's like, it's two years ago, which is both forever and not that long ago, but, like, what's interesting about two years is just how differently some bits read. Because, like, you know, I watched this basically without having ever seen an episode of Critical Role and was expecting it to feel a bit more... um, Degrassi energy with uh, how it would approach Monster Mm. Hearts to both like feeling like they absolutely beat the production I was expecting, but in every way, like I think a scrappier result by being a little bit more raw would have been more interesting, but I don't think that professionals do that. Okay, so we've been talking about the episode without actually setting up what the episode's about. <laughs> so I think that that's a good way of framing it, right? Like we've been pretty charitable, right? Like and or kind in that, like we have done a whole run up. We have stated what we think Monster Hearts and Critical Role are, right? Like we've said a number of things that I think are quite complimentary about the overall thing that we're about to talk about, but like. We inevitably have to dive into the real viscera of the matter and get into criticism, which is, I think, the part that seems somewhat cruel. Oh my gosh, Fiona, you're completely betraying our business model. What? We're going to be academic? I'm a ghoul. I'm run by hunger. (laughs) I think, you know, on the meat, right? Yeah. Uh, A thing we kind of mentioned in the break, but I think stands to be mentioned is I think if we want to talk about genre emulation um, and Ooh. also playing to the strengths of um, Critical Role, which I think we've outlined a few things really well around this, the genre they go for is CW show, right? Like a thing I could say that would seem kind of mean-spirited and kind of accurate in some ways is they feel like people that are about to audition for like a CW pilot, like rewriting the plot, of like the pilot, you know, like while practicing lines. Oh, I see. They all act well. There's a pretty conventional overarching plot. There's some little bits of riffing, but like actors craft wise, they're kind of doing something that seems very bread and butter to a genre. Yeah. It's tropey. And I don't mean that as a bad thing, right? Like, in every way, like, everyone that acts in the CW is a better actor than I'll ever fucking be. Um, <laughs> you can quote me. Literally, every performance that has ever appeared on the CW is better than my acting craft. Before people say I'm being high and mighty about this. <laughs> but, like, no one on the CW is winning, like, you know, 
um, awards for their Shakespearean portrayal of the depths of human emotion. It's mostly tweens. Um, would y'all say that Monster Hearts as a text is going for that kind of genre emulation? Like, I know the book name drops a lot of those, like, teenage supernatural romance shows and stuff. Yeah, but, but I feel like... Oh, but is sorry. that, like, what it's going for? I think Avery wants to subvert that by doing something Heathers-like, right? Like, the idea is that, like, by subverting it, by, like, playing to and against expectations, which is, I think, a lot of the content of the essays. Um, I forgot I loaned my copy of Monster Hearts to a queer gaming group a while ago. <laughs> um, so I, I actually just don't have a copy anymore, but... Right, you know, I think there's a kind of idea that you're supposed to use the game to explore things, to learn things, right? As a model, hmm. learn yeah, things, post forge thing. When you say learn things, do you mean like? Because I know it's 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 uh, if I recall, like supposed to be about personal exploration as a as like a person. But uh, how do you mean learn things? Well, right, like, that's where I say, like, post-forgic, right? That, mm. And I don't think this is ever stated in the text. I'd say that, like, this is an extrapolation, and I am making a not-perfectly-tenable hypothesis in public. Well, there's, like, unquote. a paratextual justification yeah, for right. this but, kind of reading, I think. But, like, right, the... Right, the reason you're supposed to keep the story feral and have, like, characters both, like, have explicit conversations that lead to a bunch of line, veil, X card, etc. things is to mm-hmm. be like, here are some of the more heavy themes that I want to go towards in exploring a character that is inherently positioned to go into a death spiral, right? Like, all of the characters are set up to death spiral. They're mechanically incentivized to death spiral, because they're a metaphor, you know, that's not me even looking for subtext, that's text, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Like, there's description of all of the classes as their literal metaphor, usually with some fealty to what the monster is. If I wanted to put on my academic hat and, like, name check a book is, like, before he transitioned, academic theorist Jack Halberstam wrote a book about, like, gothic um, media and queer anxieties that was actually, I think, very good. I think most of his work is incredibly boring and terrible, but, like, his early work's really good. Um, Comparatively, it still is what a lot of people would call postmodern nonsense, and I think the critique stands, right? It's about Victorian metaphors of monsters as queer anxieties. There's no way around saying that that that's an inside baseball. (laughs) But, right, if you wanted to take that sort of text, right, there's ways in which, like, anxieties about, like, the real world, right? Why there's the essays about racism or about town size and etc right because it wants to treat all of these things seriously and this is me trying to take avery adler as seriously as possible and as true to you know the spirit of the book that i've read but could not reference as possible right like the whole idea is that you do that so that you can set up a bunch of safety boundaries so that you can do this emotional PvP-ish game because you're exploring something, right? Like, dramatically, you're playing characters to engender um, more or less, right? Like, 
by being true and feral to the story, right, and where it goes, explore sort of like a bunch of queer narratives, right? That's a number of the things that are implicit or explicit in the rules. Like we had a talk before the show about how conditions work, right? Which gets into, I don't think we want to dissect the rules of the game, but I think that there's like a bunch of structures in it that maybe don't incentivize to how actual play is shot or produced, yeah, I, it, that's the the bit that struck me was that, you know, you end up telling stories about, you know, a, a metaphorical like coming of age or coming into queerness or struggling with adolescence and queerness. Um, and that that's what struck me while watching it and thinking about it as an actual play, engaging with the text that's kind of, you know, it, it, it's not um, like there's nothing in the book that could like, like the reason that they have the cultists in the, you know, to, to, to dip my toe into the story is because it's nice to be able to have defeated the cultists by the end of the episode, you know? And it's harder to be like, Oh, what, what happened? You know, um, in terms of, because it's a one shot, you know, it's not like one episode of the C, of like a CW show where the, the social environment changes and shifts and people like rise or fall in power. Um, uh, it's like, it has to be so self-contained. Um, okay. But I think, yeah, I think cool. we got here by, by asking like, is it like the, the CW show? I think that, but I think yes. Okay. So <laughs> I'm sorry to say this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, I'm giggling here. It just so I said a, real, a while ago. Like the reason why this episode of Critical Role doesn't work for me is that we have these twenty, thirty somethings playing teenagers, and I have no problem with people playing teenagers. Let, let, let me just make that clear. What I just find really funny is how these tropes manifest themselves over and over again, and. To the point that, do you know that TV trope know your meme kind of site? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost felt like watching them, it felt like they spent more time absorbing tropes and playing them rather than playing the game. If that makes any sense. Oh, I sense. see. Like it was, it was sort of by the numbers for you? Well, not by the numbers. It just kind of made me feel like how... It made me question... Well, question maybe about bad, but it made me wonder about the cultural accessibility of Monster Hearts when, when mixed up with something like Critical Role, because hmm. of the well, four of us here, I'm not American. So I was watching it, thinking, would I understand this if I wasn't American? <laughs> you know, it's like, like seriously, like if I hadn't watched a lot of CW and didn't depend on globalization to make me aware of CW shows. <laughs> Would I mm. get this? Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> that's one of the many things that's striking about it. You know, like when, when, uh, when Ashley plays Cameron, so like this, like, uh, jockish, you know, perfect football player kind of dude and has these like, performative or performance gestures of what it's like to be, I guess the perfect jock dude. I just couldn't help but think, am I, is this supposed to like, is this supposed to give me 
am I reading the signals correctly? Am I? Do I not know my media? Am I? <laughs> like, what's happening? <sighs> and, and maybe that's why I also feel very discomforted. Maybe I'm wondering, am I missing the signals here? Or did it read to you as like authentic portrayal? I guess that's my question. Authentic portrayal. I just wanted to say I just wanted to say authentic portrayal by way of does this feel like an authentic CW show? Not that does this feel authentic to American culture. Oh, okay. Yes. Like to be clear, I didn't grow up in the America that exists in television shows. <laughs> but like yeah, it looks like CW stuff, but like I mean I mean, I'm glad they at least tried to play to something that at least they all seemed familiar with the tropes to. I think it would have been on something they just never would have done if they were like, oh, we should try and do this like a K-drama because apparently they're trending, you know, um, and they would have also been ahead of trends at that point. But like, you know, because they have like complicated romance plots, right? A lot of the high school ones, but like if no one in the cast is familiar with how the high schools work, like adding everything else would just become even more incoherent. Like, I think they went for a region where all of them could do voice acting as well as they could, you know? Like, no one's trying to put on an accent they don't know how to do on some level. Does the, does Monster Hearts itself um, cling quite, like, closely to um, Americana? Like, I assume that's part of the well, conversation? I, I think what's part of the, I think the most fun part of the game, actually, was not covered. Which is that Monster Hearts has you start off with a homeroom, and then you yeah they did that off screen. I they think. did off screen. Yeah, like all of the stuff that actually is like interesting for working out the game doesn't happen on the camera. I mean, I've looked around, and I'm hoping a listener can point me out. Is it like a Patreon only content? I'm not sure. Is there a subscription? I'm sub- I'm not sure, honestly. Uh, I think but, it happened completely off camera. I don't think it's yeah. available to anyone yeah. because I think building those relationships is for me the fun part of the game in fact sometimes i will play i think that i'll play monster hearts just for making the classroom and then hmm. i'm done it's like okay we're done <laughs> like i need a one shot let's make a classroom <laughs> that's pretty much it <laughs> uh, you know like i think that's i think that also is missing and maybe i think that's also why and without going into detail before we launch into actually like delving academically into this delving critically rather academic might be a little bit too high and formal but before we del- <laughs> delve critically into the, the the main substance it is it is like having having that backstory would have been really useful i think for my appreciation of that for the rest of that session it would have made everything go faster in a weird way right yeah. like in, in a weird way, they would have been able to have a conversation about, like, what the town and their characters are supposed to be like, including, in a weird way, the tone of their character, right? Because, like, I've watched some tween dramas, and, you know, like, I, I, I own a complete run of the TV series Gossip Girl. Um, when I was disassociating a lot in grad school, sometimes drinking and watching that show was really helpful. Um it's a terrible fucking show. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, the character of Chuck Bass is in the first season, basically an antagonist and also an attempted rapist. Um, in the later seasons, he's portrayed as a likable person, despite being basically abusive. Oh, Spike. Yeah. I've seen yeah. Buffy. You know, uh, a trope that 
you know, in tropic language, because I'm aware of fandoms and those sorts of things that young people care about, right? Like people in some contexts can just create an imagination. I'm doing a hand gesture for that where like, you know, certain things work because it's an alternate reality because, you know, it's whatever, it's your imagination. And like, that's also an inherent part of, I think, the idea of like the world creation and monster hearts because the MC is supposed to, as Mahar pointed out much earlier, tell people when they should roll dice because it seems like they're hemming and hawing about what's going to happen rather than like role playing and planning things and making scenes. I have a question for y'all and this is actually tangentially related. If you were to do a one shot, not necessarily monster hearts, not necessarily any, well, for any system really, and you were, and let's put on our like fictional producer hats because we don't do actual plays. At least I don't. Um, I don't reveal myself uh, how I play to the rest of the world. Would you want to have what I what are essentially rehearsal one shots before you had your produ- your production one shot? So that, or is it too much of a risk, or is that too much of a time sink? What do you think? Or are you saying for an AP specifically well, for yeah, like public I'm, consumption? Yeah, for public consumption. Because I think I think the pre-work was done. I think a lot of homework was done for this one, to be honest. It looked like it, yeah. It looked like it. Like, you can make a set like that out of nowhere. Like, oh, we just happen to have these icons and these tokens. You know, it's like, it's not, no. Like, yeah, like there's a production assistant who made those things. Yeah. Even if that production assistant is an intern with a button press and like some magnet backs yeah. and some glue. Yeah. And so, it's know. like middle school crafts level. The thing is middle school crafts level and professionally li- like printed look about the same on camera. Yeah, exactly. Well, the point still remains like, would you, would you say that this episode in general would have benefited from rehearsal or does that defeat the point of of an actual play which is like see how people engage with the text and see the real-time struggle so that's actually one of the reasons i wanted Vi to be on this episode (laughs) because um i don't watch actual plays because they're just very different from what I enjoy about games or how I run them. I don't have any judgment about them. They're just not enjoyable to me in the same way that some people don't like the sound of asthma or like some people think electronic music sounds good and other people think it sounds like a modem. You know, uh, I, on the other hand, watch a lot of actual play. (laughs) Yeah. So like what draws you to actual play? Cause like, right. It's not like a home game for most people right it it's acknowledged produced but obviously i think they put out something good on production levels but i'm interested in like you know what makes an actual play good can it be i think that oh, so yeah, go ahead, sorry you, you first no no i <laughs> i have the i'll start answering it when you're no i just want to be facetious quickly and say like because i want to like pretend i'm playing with people who are super hot and into me <laughs> um i think that uh whether it's like like i think that we can uh, i i think that uh, my gut is to make assumptions based on what the players the the cast themselves are getting out of it and whether it's like you know for their own um, amusement or enjoyment of the session as a tabletop session or because of like the momentum of that being 
like the way they would play it. And that's kind of just carried into how it is now. I think that it would be counterproductive to the kind of play that actual play produces to do a rehearsal. Um, I think that it, for the same reason, actually, that I think they didn't show the homeroom um, like creation process on on camera, because I think once you enter the magic circle of like, oh, now we're telling a story together, it doesn't matter that you both know a, a plot detail about your your interconnected backstories or like, you know the the you know how that might affect how you interact. What matters is that it like comes out during play. Um, and so it's like, um, and and so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that rehearsals would ever be something that make sense except under like extremely specific circumstances. That's interesting. Uh, There's like a, there's a related thing I think that's been rattling around in my head, um, about how, like, I was pretty surprised at how, you know that thing that happens when you're playing an RPG where a player will say something that's definitely a joke and then everybody goes, ha ha, ha ha, I didn't actually say that. And then it's like, well, what what do you actually say? Like that kind of moment. Mm-hmm. It seems like at least in this episode that happened several times, except there was none of the ha ha, I didn't actually say that. Like they, they'll make a thing that to me sounds like a player joking and then just use it. And like, no, that's that's true now. Like, that's canon now. Mm, mm. Um, and it feels like they're uh, the, the reason I bring it up here is it feels like they're really, really reticent to step out of that place. Like, call it the magic circle or whatever it is. Um, which to me, and maybe this isn't true for Monster Hearts, but my experience with PBTA games is like a lot of the game is about stepping into and out of that space a lot, right? You, you, you live in that space and then, and then the game interrupts and you step out and you talk very broadly. Um, You know, you roll some dice, you talk really broadly and then you, you go back into it. Right. And you might even do that between scenes, which they didn't really, um, at least to my eyes, didn't really play it scene based the way I, might have expected Monster Hearts to be played. It was much more played through the way you might play, well, a D&D game. Um, it was helped because, you know, school is segmented into periods, so that's kind of a natural way of doing scenes. Um, but it felt very played through to me, um, which is another sort of instance of this thing that I may be seeing where they're reticent to step out of that magic circle, which is maybe something, again, that Monster Hearts wants them to do does that ring like jive with with y'all that jives with how i think you should run monster hearts i won't say that like i have the authority of the textual author um and i think for in in so far as like the the context of an actual play i think that i i didn't i didn't know that that you're supposed to kind of like step in and out and like um kind of uh aim the trajectory of the narrative in a kind of meta way. Because yeah, I that's think that- a very like, uh, like a, a form specific thing to story games. Like to me, that really defines how story games work is this constant, like stepping outside of the story to talk about it at a higher level and then going back in, um, having yeah. a lot. I think it's why like Amber Diceless is a game that can be name-checked by people who are into very, very, very grognardy games and very, very story-gamey games, and they can both like it. 
and their reasons are eerily similar in that, like, the numerical parts of it are basically objective. Like, there is math to it that you just use to solve, and everything else is just role-playing in the same way that, like, the game diplomacy is based on role-playing. You know, it has a few resolution mechanics, and otherwise you're, like, negotiating things and role-playing at each other, you know? And therefore there's the parts where you look at the numbers and then everything else, you know? Yeah. But I think, you know, when in, in Cinderbrush and I'll say largely in a lot of it, a lot of actual play that Critical Role produces, you don't talk about it that way because the, um, the game master is the one that is like framing scenes and, and um, like choosing the, tra- the traje- trajectory of the story. Um, and then, you know, for the players, the continuity of like in character, um, action for like, you know, for, um, like, like story production reasons. So it doesn't like, there's no, uh, fuzziness around like what isn't, isn't happening, but also for like the, uh, yeah, like the kind of emotional kind of character actor experience of the narrative is, um, like maintained like constantly Mm. and that's really interesting to me as a person who plays a lot of dungeons and dragons but not 5e at all um that is a really like that's not how i do business Hmm. um and i so my initial reaction to that is that that seems like it's coming out of the the structural implications of actual play more than it is out of like dungeons and dragons as a thing but again i don't play 5e so maybe that's a 5e thing that i'm just not privy to i recently found out that people smooch in 5e sometimes so like i've got nothing (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think i i haven't i i don't know um i've never really engaged with the play culture of 5e other than like i don't know like youtubers that talk about it um but (laughs) i think that it's interesting i've like i came up in a uh in an actual play environment, you know? And so I think that it's, um, I I'm talking from also from like personal experience when I talk about the reasons for playing in that way. Mm. And I don't know if that's influenced by like being surrounded by people who enjoy a kind of freeform storytelling or an actual play environment that I learned how to GM in or a bit of both. Um, yeah. Yeah. It seems uh, maybe less chicken and egg and more like six of one, half a dozen, the other, you know, Mm-mm. it seems like those two <laughs> things go together. Like it's a package deal, you know, that actual play is popular in part because people like this style of role-playing game. And right. then conversely, the existence of actual play creates more demand for the style of role-playing game, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I could, I could, I'll, I'll drink to that. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I mm. think we need to get into brass tacks in the next episode. Like, Let's be real, y'all. We need to look at what exactly happened in this a blow episode. Blow by blow. That's really unfortunate. An unfortunate term <laughs> in the context of Monster Hearts. <laughs> There's not enough blowjobs in the actual. Like, I am actually disappointed by the lack of, like, you know, explicitly described sexuality. You know, as a simulationist. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I had I had that punchline all episode, and I finally got a chance to use it. I mean, I'm so, so proud of I mean, you. Seriously, like friendos, this is big. Like, I know they would get demonetized if they had anything like that, but like, I wonder if they had a standards and practices meeting before the episode of like, like no exactly legally what they're allowed to talk like, about. No triggering of sex moves. You think? Well, no, sex moves were triggered in it, but, like, it, it's also the weird thing of, like, the game explicitly on, oh, God, I'm going to throw another System Matters thing in, or doesn't <laughs> matter, <laughs> right? The game explicitly, because of a number of the things in essays and etc., wants you to explore a concept that sexuality is not defined in, like, really limited ways. It's how it describes a lot of the idea of it being a queer game, right? It's why there's rules for asexual people, etc right like on some level it is trying to break from the idea of like yes you know the the intro to dark place where he's like they had sex in the three positions doggy missionary <laughs> or normal woman on top and then a monster ate them you uh, know that, no, no, like, this was trying to be kind <laughs> oh my god but, you yeah. know it's real like there's a degree to which, like, right, like, the whole idea in the game is that, like, you're supposed to have concepts that are outside the normativity or capture something about, like, experiencing queer awakenings, which, like, I'm just going to say something that sounds maybe fucked up to say, but, like, I assume that the adults that play that game are people who are pretty certain about what their gender or sexuality are or are not going to explore any questions about it on a fucking camera. And if they did, I would worry about them. Mm. Like, I, I think that that would actually be, like, a conversation about bleed level, like, disturbing thing, right? That it would be happening in public. Yeah. Like, I think it would go against the intended spirit of the game and the intended outcomes. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons this is interesting. Okay, so we're going to follow our rules. Episode should not <laughs> last call longer it. than an hour and a half. And I think we've more than uh, covered that. But again, Vi, super duper thanks for being here. Gotta say, you. Prov- um, I hope <laughs> though, you provide perspective that none of us have. I'm I am happy to have uh, made it so that the thousands of hours of my life have not been wasted and can contribute to something. Yeah, we're, we're glad to bring meaning to that for you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>